we will be building the case for the deity of Jesus using scripture. Unfortunately, 33% of evangelical Christians deny this core tenet of the Christian faith. Well, welcome to The Unapologetic Show, where we defend truth without compromise with Dr. Bobby Conway, the one-minute apologist. I'm your host, Tim Hall. I, I wanted to start with reading a, a lengthy quote by Lewis, but I think it's going to underscore the importance of this conversation. And we've been in the series where we've been looking at the Godhead and kind of trying to unpack some of this and build a case for it. So here's the quote from Lewis from Mere Christianity. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claims to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says that he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. Then Lewis adds this. He says, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us and he did not intend to. Bobby, help underscore Lewis's point here. It's a great quote, and it's uh, one of the most famous, if not the most famous quote, uh, certainly in you know modern literature on the deity of Christ and yeah. his claim. Uh, you know, uh, out of it flow is liar, lord, lunatic. Yeah, uh, you could also include legend, where some might say Jesus is a legend. What Lewis is getting at is uh, we don't have the prerogative to create a Jesus in our own image, a Jesus according to our own liking. Right. What we have to do is take Jesus uh, to be who he said he was. I mean, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Yeah. And I think it's a question that we all need to answer. I mean, who do you say that Jesus is? I mean, that question, you could throw it out there. Well, if you're talking to a Hindu, you know, he might be a great avatar. Uh, you know, if you're talking to somebody like a Jehovah's Witness, Jesus uh, was originally Michael the Archangel, yeah. then he came as Jesus, and now he's an angel again. If you're talking to Mormons, uh, you know, the spirit brother of Lucifer, if you're talking to a New Ager, a New Ager would say something like, um, Jesus was a historical figure who experienced a Christ consciousness. Mm. And so you and me can become a Christ. Uh, we're Christ. We yeah. just have to experience our Christ consciousness. Jesus experienced the Christ consciousness, sort of like the Buddha experiencing enlightenment. We too can become uh, you know, a Buddha like right. by experiencing enlightenment. So you have all these different opinions. If you're talking to a Muslim, they say he was a great prophet, but surely not, um, you know, Know, the son of God. I mean, right. in fact, in Islam, shirk is known as uh, the greatest sin against Allah, and that is adjoining other uh, persons to Allah. Or So they would look at us and see, you know what? Uh, we've committed shirk yeah. to try to say that he, Jesus is part of the Godhead. Uh, they don't believe that Jesus would have died 
on a cross. They don't think Allah would have subjected his great prophet to that. So perhaps somebody like um, Judas died in his place. Mm -hmm. So then you have atheists and they'll end up saying, you know, a good moral person or like some who are Jesus mythicists would say he's never even existed before. Uh, This is just all legendary. So all that to say, when Jesus answers the question, who do you say that I am? And we talk to a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or a Muslim or an atheist or a Hindu or a New Ager, what we need to realize is just because you use the name Jesus doesn't mean we're talking about the same Jesus. Right. Uh, which Jesus are we talking about? As Christians, we believe in a very specific Jesus, a Jesus who was, who is the second person of the Godhead, mm-hmm. eternally existing God the Father, God the Spirit, and who experienced an incarnation by assuming a human nature. Well, we're going to look at the biblical case for that. We've talked about the biblical case for just the Godhead in general. We're going to do a little bit of looking at the biblical case for specifically the personhood of the Holy Spirit in future episodes. But this episode, we're focusing on uh, the deity of Jesus and the biblical support for that. But before we get to that biblical support, I think it would be important for us to discuss uh, some philosophical concepts that we need to kind of keep in mind as we approach the the scripture and, and understanding this. So what are some things from your perspective that, that we need to keep in mind when it comes to our, our philosophical underpinnings as we approach the text? We need to avoid, uh, you know, trying to impose our modern understanding of the self mm. on Jesus, and uh, that can come, you know, whether you're a dualist believing in body and soul, or just a pure physicalist that mm-hmm. believes in the body only. Uh, we need to realize that they weren't in a position uh, as we are with the emergence of psychology, and uh, you know, in a scientific age, as we grapple with these ideas on the self. We can't go to the text um, trying to work it that way. We need to understand the milieu from which it was written and understand the posture and worldview of our writers yeah. at that time. Uh, I also think it's important that we understand uh, that we're getting into philosophical territory when we start talking about that God is one in essence, yet there are three persons. Yeah. And um, you know that can create a little bit of a mind uh, game for us. And this would lead me to my last point. We need to just keep in mind that there is some mystery. We can't remove it all, but hopefully we can explain that three-in-one concept stuff is not a contradiction Mm. as we have tried to talk about on previous episodes before. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Well, I do do want to remind our listeners that this is a listener and viewer-supported show. So if you're checking us out on our audio-only podcast, you can do that on any one of the podcast platforms that you use. Thanks for checking us out. And if you want to support this show, we would invite you to uh, do it in one of three ways. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash one-minute-apologist. Subscribe, like this video. It would be another way. And the third way is that you can support us financially by heading on over to oneminuteapologist.com slash form and join our financial support team. We would love to have you and that would keep this ministry going. So we're going to look at the, uh, the, the biblical support. So what text would you point to specifically that reveal Jesus's divine attributes? What we see when you're looking at Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, or as we'll look at the Holy Spirit as mm-hmm. the third person of the Trinity, is uh, you 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 recognize that there's one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, Deuteronomy 6.4. But then we start seeing um, that there are, uh, you know, 
three persons where you see the Father has these attributes and Jesus has the, uh, the same attributes and the Holy Spirit has the same attributes. So what you're looking at is Jesus is being referred to as one who has the same attributes mm. as the Father. And then as we'll look at the Holy Spirit, so too. So we see that Jesus is more than a man. right? And so you think about the fact that he received worship. Uh, you know, that's a beautiful thing. Like if you're ever talking to Jehovah's Witness, um, you know, you can say, well, why did Jesus uh, receive worship? Like, why didn't he reject worship? Uh, he allowed people to worship him. Yeah. Like, wasn't that just blasphemous? Uh, that's a that's a fair question because he did receive worship. And uh, we can see that in Matthew uh, chapter 2, verses 8 to 11 and Chapter 28, verses 9 and verse 17, uh, we can see where he received worship. That's that's all over. People are, He would perform a miracle, right? right? And then people would worship him. And he wasn't like, hey, no, don't worship me. But when you go to the book of Acts and they start trying to worship the apostles, uh, they are adamant. Hey, 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 we're just mere mortals here. Right. Uh, you know, don't worship us. But Jesus didn't operate like that. Mm. Why? Well, he knew that he was more than a man. Uh, you know, he's immutable. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yep. Uh, you know, we see that he's uh, omnipresent. He says, I'll, I'll be with you uh, to the end of the uh, age. You think about... Um, he forgives sin. Mm. I, I I love that. Yeah. Like when he's like, hey, you know, um, your sins are forgiven. And then people are like, what the heck? He's like, well, just to, just to show you that I've got power over sin and nature, you know, then he heals. Right. And so kind of validating, you know, wow, he's more than a man. Yeah. So he's doing things collectively where you could see maybe some of the apostles or prophets, they're performing miracles, but they're not forgiving sins. Right. Um, you know, they're not claiming to be, you know, omnipresent. Uh, they're not claiming to be immutable. They're not receiving worship. They're not creating. I mean, you think, uh, you take Colossians yeah. in chapter one in verses 16 and 17, it says, for by him, all things were created. Mm -hmm. So he's the creator. Um, he's eternal. Uh, we see in John 17, five, right? He says, father, glorify me together with you with the glory that I have with you right before the world was. So that's a very significant thought. In John 8, 58, he says, before Abraham was, I am. In John 8, 59, they pick up stones to stone him. Why is that? Because he was making a claim to be eternal mm. in John 8, 58. Uh, and not only that, he was associating himself with the Yahweh of Exodus 3. And so that's a powerful thought. In John 10, 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one, right? He's trying to say, I'm one in essence. Yeah. In John 10, 31, uh, uh, right? So John 10, 30, I and the Father are one, but in John 10, 31, what do they do? They pick up stones to stone him. Right. Well, you'll have like a, a, a Muslim or... A Jehovah's Witness, they'll say, no, no, he wasn't claiming to be one in essence with Father. He's claiming to be one in purpose. Mm. Well, then the, the, uh, the, the retort is, well, why are they trying to stone him? Why would they want to stone him for claiming to be one in purpose? Like, shouldn't every faithful Jewish follower of Yahweh uh, be one in purpose? Right. They knew that he was making a declaration uh, that was so much bigger than that. No, that. Yeah, that there was something different. I think one thing that I'll, I'll kind of point out as a summary before we get to some other texts here is that... Uh, the famous scholar Bart Ehrman, if anyone's you know in apologetics, they've probably heard the name Bart Ehrman. Well, he wrote a book called uh, How Jesus Became God, and one of his 
core thesis is that it was kind of a legend that developed over time. And so I think one of the important things, as you just laid that out, was that it, this wasn't just something that happened in John, that some of these texts, and we'll, we'll talk about more of them, but that they were in Mark and that they are in Matthew and that we even have them in Colossians, which, uh, you know, could arguably say that it was, you know, written before some of the gospels were written or at least around the same time sure. that Paul wrote that. So we have, you know, kind of elements of this idea that Jesus is kind of more than a man, that he shares these divine attributes before the book of John, before, you know, 60 right. years afterwards. So I think that's really important. Um, and we're going to kind of continue to talk on some of this. So what are some other texts that you would point to that reveal the, the deity of Christ, the proof texts that reveal the deity of Christ? Well, uh, let me read some of these verses right here for our listeners, because uh, we've, we have these set aside and I think, uh, you know, we can't read all the verses we're addressing, but listen to some of these verses right here. In Acts 20, verse 28, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Well, uh, this is definitely associating uh, the he, Jesus, uh, you know, as the one uh, who is referring to as the, the church of God, yeah, right? Exactly. He's the one who is the God of the church, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, Hebrews 1a, I love this verse, Tim. Um, but to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Here you have the father saying to the son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So the father uh, recognizes the divinity of Christ. The apostles recognize the divinity of Christ, like what we see in Acts 20, 28. Or check this out in Colossians 2, 9, for in him, right, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, right? right. That's a beautiful picture of the fact that Jesus is more than a man. Or how about this? Titus 1.3, according to the commandment of God, our Savior. Well, Jesus, our Savior, right? But he's also called God, our Savior. Mm -hmm. Or hear this, Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, man, that's a really... uh, Clean verse right, right there. Second uh, Peter chapter one verse one. To those who obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. I dig that. Uh, I'll read this verse, but we'll come back and deal with this again. Uh, but John one one. In the beginning was the the logos, right? The Word, and the Word was with God. But check it out. And the Word was God. Yeah. That's really clear. Uh, I've already mentioned John 10, 30, but Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And then John 20, verse 28, right? And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, literally the Lord of me and the God of me. Yeah. So Thomas was doubting that Jesus bodily rose from the grave. He said, I'm not going to believe unless I see him. Well, Jesus shows up and says, here, stick your finger at my side, you know, feel the wounds. And he says, my Lord and my God. So what we have just in this little overview of scriptures is 
The apostles recognize the divinity of Christ on a number of these. Jesus recognizes his own divinity, right? Uh, The Father recognizes the divinity of the Son, your throne, right? Oh, God is forever and ever. So the evidence is really strong biblically. Now, some of these verses we can read over fast, and that's why we got to slow down when we read the Bible, Tim. We got to see what's there, but... I wanted to read those slowly so people could see, oh yeah, the Bible is pretty clear on that. Right, right. Yeah, and I get that that's a great cross section of just, you know, texts that point to the deity of Christ, in addition to all of the texts that we, you know, laid out a few weeks ago in one of our episodes where we talked about, you know, the plurality and and the the Godhead verses that kind of point in the Old Testament that kind of hint to it and that kind of reveal it more fully in the New Testament. Yeah, but, and let me even like say too, like when you think about this, like with Jehovah's Witnesses, it's important because they'll come knocking on our door. Yeah. And they're going to take their Bibles and they're going to say, which is the New World Translation, mm-hmm. but they'll let you look in your own Bible, right? You know, get out the Bible and they'll say, look at Colossians 1.15. And what are we going to see in Colossians 1.15, right? Yeah. He's the firstborn of all creation. Yeah. And they're going to immediately try to attack uh, the the. And I don't mean attack in a mean way, but yeah. they're going to attack that doctrine right. that Jesus is the second person of the Godhead. And so you're going to read that, and you're going to be like, "Yeah, the firstborn of all creation." Oh, so Jesus, he 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 had a beginning, and so all of a sudden you can start to doubt if you're not aware of these other verses we just read. Yeah. But just to straighten that out for a moment. What we can do is by understanding the Greek, it's the word prototokos, firstborn. And that means preeminent one. Like in Psalm 89, verse 27, David is referred to the firstborn son of Jesse. Well, we know that David was the lastborn. We think about when Samuel went to go and anoint him, and he's like, is there not any other son after all the sons passed by him? Yeah, the youngest one. (laughs) He's out there in the fields, right? Uh, And, well, bring him to me. So he comes, and it turns out that David is the prototokos of Jesse, the preeminent son of Jesse. Mm. So it doesn't mean first like in order. It means preeminent. So in... The book of Colossians, if Paul wanted to say that Jesus was the first created of Jesse, he would have used another Greek term, prototokos, mm. but he doesn't. He used prototokos. He's not saying that Jesus, uh, he's not denying the eternality of Jesus. What he's affirming is his absolute uh, high ranking preeminent status yeah. as the firstborn. And that's a way to understand that. Well, let, let's camp out. You you kind of, we read John 1, 1, but let's camp out on John 1, 1, because it's very specific on how the, specifically the Jehovah Witnesses kind of translate this. So we'll kind of stay on this for just a little bit here, but they, they try to change that last phrase into that the word was a that's God. That's right. Why doesn't that, why does that not work here? So, for a little English grammar lesson, in case we've forgotten. <laughs> Take us back to school. Right. The definite article is the word the. And so in the Greek, you don't have a definite article uh, before um, theos. Mm. So the Greek reads kai theos ein halagos. Okay. And so uh, in the Greek, before the word theos, you don't have a definite article. Um, and the in the Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll want to say that that should be interpreted 
anartheris, which means without an article. Mm. And so they end up interpreting it, you know, as a God. The problem is, is they're not consistent, Tim, in their usage of this. So when it's convenient for the kind of Christology they're trying to work out, namely uh, their belief in Jesus as one who was a, you know, Michael the archangel and then came as Jesus now as a spirit angel again, they do not believe in the Trinity, Jehovah's Witnesses. They deny the deity of Christ. And so in order to make that work, that becomes their argument. And so Kai Theos, Kaithaos ain halagos. They'll say there's no definite article before theos. But but when you continue to read on, uh, even in their own New World Translation, we see that there lacks consistency. So, for example, uh, in John one six eight or John one six, what 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 I want our listeners grasp here is there's going to be other places where there's no article before the word God, before theos. There's no article in these other verses, in the immediate context of John, and they're not going to be consistent. Mm. So it's going to turn out, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read these verses, but you'll see it's convenient for them with John 1.1 to say he's a God. But when it comes to these other places that don't have the definite article, they're not going to put a God. And so it's only when it's convenient. So you can't use the argument that in John 1, 1, there's no definite article. So that's why we translate it as a God. Right. So we would have to translate John 1, 6. There came a man who was sent from a God, right? It relates to John the Baptist. We'd have to translate John 1, 12. He gave the right to become children of a God, right? Yet to all received him. To those who believe name, he gave the right to become children of a God. Right, no, right. there's no definite article there. Or we would have to translate John 1, 13, who were born of a God. Right. Or we'd have to translate John 1, 18, no one has ever seen a God. Yeah. So here in verse six, verse 12, verse 13, and verse 18, there's no definite article in the Greek before the Greek word theos, which relates to God. So, what they do is in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was a God. So they make that move and in the rest, we keep as God. Right. And this is so inconsistent. Yeah. And not only that, the Greek does not require a definite article uh, before the word theos for us to recognize this as mm. they recognize in other places, but even as it relates to Jesus. Context determines it. And moreover, the book of John just in general, as you even alluded to earlier, is a book that really wants to elevate the deity of Christ. Each gospel has a different purpose. Man, the gospel of John is going to town on Jesus being more than a man. When I taught through the gospel of John for over two years, that was the theme of the book for me, yeah. more than a man. Well, I think this is, this, you just gave a um, kind of a class in Jesus in that <laughs> sense, right? Because you see that inconsistency from them where in verse one, they have to read in the, that Jesus uh, does not have the same divinity as, as God the Father. But then in the other ones, they're willing to just let it go, right? So they're saying we we have this um, 
this pre this conclusion that we have to get in this verse somehow. And so the way that we're going to do that is we're going to add this definite article, but then we're not going to add it in yeah. other places. And so really, uh, I think that that's a great man. If I was having a conversation with somebody, I would want my worldview to be consistent, particularly my reading of the text to be consistent. And so if you ask somebody who holds this view, Jehovah Witness, to knock on your door or whatever, um, well, how come you don't do this, right? And just kind of listen to their answer. Yes. They're going to have to come up with some kind of ad hoc, you know, post hoc justification of why this happened because it's just not necessarily there. So yeah, that's very interesting. Um, man, there there are a lot of other, uh, you know, kind of counter arguments that we didn't, we barely scratched the surface. Is there anything <laughs> else? Uh, I, I don't think we have enough time to go into no. other counter arguments that we had talked about. Is there anything else that you think people should kind of keep in mind as they're researching the deity of Christ or as they're having conversations with people that might disagree with them? I think that we've laid out the case. Just know next time a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door in particular, I mean, just think about it. The kind of questions you have, well, why did Jesus receive worship? Why was David called the firstborn of mm-hmm. Jesse in Psalm 89, 27? Why do you uh, interpret uh, God as God and not instead of instead of a God in the other verses in John chapter one and only do it to Jesus? Right. Those are just three practical questions that you could ask Jehovah's Witnesses uh, right off the bat. And I think you can be in a good conversation. Yeah, I, I think for, and I've had conversations with several people that are, you know, Unitarians in general, or the people that just kind of deny the deity of Christ. And I think one of the things that for me helps is that you you start to notice how they kind of assume that, that Jesus isn't God, and then that's part of their argument, right? And so there's lots of begging the question, because then they'll go and they'll point to a bunch of things that Jesus did that God wouldn't do, like he was, you know, he perspired or that he was tired or whatever, and say, yeah. well, here, here it is. And you're like, right. but what about all this other stuff? And so they assume, well, here you go, and then that's how they get their conclusion. So excellent, excellent yeah. work. Uh, great text that we got a chance to look at today. Uh, in future episodes, we'll talk about this a little bit more. And with that, we will leave you till the next time on the next Unapologetic Show. You've been listening to Unapologetic with Dr. Bobby Conway, the one-minute apologist. I am your host, Tim Hall. Be sure to listen to Bobby on Pastor's Perspective Monday through Thursday, as well as like, share, and subscribe to the One Minute Apologist YouTube channel, where we have over 1,000 videos. We would also like to remind you that this is a listener-supported program. We would greatly appreciate your support in any amount so we could continue to provide this ministry. If you would like to be a part of our team in any capacity, please visit our website at oneminuteapologist.com. And while you're there, check out all of Bobby's books, courses, and even invite him to speak at your church or event. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic, where we defend truth without compromise. Sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa.